We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, we got a special day today. Um, you're going to hear a story, powerful story of redemption. And uh, I met Joey and Darcy about, about three months ago, I think. I heard about something happening in our city. And uh, I said, I, I have to talk with them. I, th- this is an answered prayer for me. Um, as it's been heavy on my heart for uh, uh, the last few years, um, the epidemic of overdoses and addiction that has plagued our nation, really. Um, it, it hits home with many of us. It hits home with some of you closer than others who have had family and friends uh, struggling with it, who have passed from it. Um, and so when I heard about a faith-based organization uh, that was coming to Kokomo called Valley of Grace, I said, I, I've got to sit down and i got to talk to them because in my prayer time, it had been something that was very strong on my heart that I said, God, I want to help. I just don't know what to do. I don't know, you know, there's really nothing in Kokomo um, to, to help people who, who are addicted. And um, I, I didn't feel led that we were supposed to start something, but I was just in prayer, much prayer about it. And so when I heard about this, it, it rang a bell with me and my spirit, and I called him up, and I said, listen, let's get together we got together and, and talked in my office there for about an hour or so and just, just connected with Joey and Darcy and their story. And I said, man, we're going to help you. I said, our church is going to help you. I said, we, we want to link up with people who have a vision to reach hurting people. And you hear this often out of my mouth that we can't do everything, but we can do something. And uh, we're big on that around here. We're not called to start a clothing ministry, a food ministry, or a, or a faith-based um, rehabilitation ministry. But we're going to partner with those who are doing it right. And we're not going to try to do 25 things halfway. We're going to do the five things that we do well. And one of the things we do well is we do generosity well around here. Our people love to give. And uh, they're, they're just generous. And so we're, we're going to be able to, through our Heart for the House offering, we're going to be able to take a portion of that and help out Valley of Grace. And so I want to hear their story. Are you ready? All right. This is Joey. Uh, Joey, just jump in. I mean, I've heard it. It's powerful. But these people, um, they want to hear your story, how God redeemed you, your, your path. I mean, take your filter off. These people love it raw and uncensored. <laughs> So this is Joey Bennett. Hi. So I've had a, quite the journey. Um, you know, for me, it was opiates were my choice. That was my thing. Um, and obviously, that's the epidemic. But it's, it's a wider array of things now. It's not just pills and heroin. Um, so one night in particular for me was April 24th of 2016. Um, I was down on 31 after a few-hour drive that, that created um, a suicide attempt on my life that, that I was done. Uh, Darcy and I were on the brink of divorce. Um, 
I was not living at home. I have three little boys at home. And I also have a 16-year-old daughter that, uh, that that's just a whole other gamut of things. Um, so a lot of things in my life were in a downward spiral. And so being in the midst of my addiction, I, I continued to use to cope. Uh, that was my coping mechanism, as a lot of people have. Um, so the April 24th of last year was, was the night that it all was rock bottom for me. I'd take a, take a knife across my neck. And it's 4.30 in the morning, and there's nobody around. Uh, lying in the ravine on the middle of 31, thinking I'm going to die. And I did die about five or six times. And in doing that, it's a selfish, very selfish choice on my part because I'm thinking of my kids I'm thinking of my wife, my, my family. Um, so I'm thankful for God in that moment. I didn't realize there was no clarity for me in that moment other than I was being selfish and I was high and I was going to take my own life because I was done with life. Um, and so I go get the lifeline to Indy after a girl finds me um, lying in the middle of the ravine. Um, and she's running up to me. Are you okay? No. <laughs> uh, you know, blood just everywhere. Um, and she kind of gets me back to some coherentness to where, to where I could talk and just kind of be, be somewhat, somewhat clear about what had happened. And so I told her everything. And then I said, hey, can you call my wife? And she's like, well, I've already called 911. I'm like, oh, good. And so she's like, I don't have your wife's number. I said, I got it. And so I give her the number. She calls my wife and and Darcy answers the phone, and, uh, you know, it, for people that don't know my wife, her immediate response in answering the phone was after I had said, hey, Darcy, I had made a, I've made a huge mistake. And her response is, you're going to be okay. Hmm. When, in my mind, I'm thinking, we're separated, we're, we're on the brink of divorce, I would have think she would have said, that's okay, good. Like, I'm glad, <laughs> you know, kind of that hatred aspect of it, but not, not Darcy. Um, she's the complete opposite of that. And so I do the Lifeline event to Indy. They bring me back. And I realized I needed to go somewhere. I was forced to stay in a, a three-day stay at the, the hospital down there, which that really sucked, by the way. <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. And I'm, I'm grateful that it did suck because it made me grow stronger. And, you know, Darcy had come down there to see me and... Um, it was about two minutes. She wanted to know if they were going to file charges. She really wanted something more traumatic to happen to me, more of a tragedy, because she didn't think that was going to be enough. And so she came down for about two minutes, left, and um, kind of when I came back to reality a little bit, we, we had talked. But So anyway, amongst that, uh, I ended up hitting rock bottom and wanting to go yeah. to a place that, that I needed to go to. Right. And where... where what was that place you went to? So it's in uh, Mississippi. Um, how Mississippi came about, I have no clue because I know nothing about Mississippi. I know it's in the middle of the sticks, <laughs> and I'm an Indiana boy, uh, city boy, and it was just a whole new, <laughs> whole new life down there. Let me tell you, but well worth it. Um, it's a place called the Home of Grace. There's only one, and that's been uh, running for about 53 years. Uh, it's a family business. Grandpa started it. 
and uh, son started it, and now it's grandson. So how that place was found as a friend of a friend, it was God, really. <laughs> I mean, as I, th- as I reflect back now. but um, What happened to you at that place? Lots. Um, God does something to you if, if, if you allow him. When I was very, very reluctant and very, um, no, no, I'm not doing it. Um, and so in the, in the first couple of weeks, it's a 90 day facility. Um, that's way too long for an addict to be thinking of. That's, that's way too far, way too long, way too far. Um, so in the first couple of weeks, I didn't transition very well. Uh, because I wasn't allowing myself to. I was, I was uh, in my own way, as I think a lot of us can be. Um, so what had happened is I found God. Uh, my eyes were opened. I was in a serene, peaceful setting. So if you can kind of picture yourself in the middle of the woods, if you will, um, trees around you and just open land in the middle, with a bunch of dudes that have the same issue you do. About 120 of us, and I liked about half of them, and the other half I couldn't stand. <laughs> um, but that's the nature of the beast with, uh, with addiction and even in, in society. Um, so I found God. I quit using drugs, and I, I really was able to... I had five things that I needed to forgive, and I'm not going to share all five things, but the most important thing for me was to forgive myself. Right. Hmm. Because I was the biggest problem. I was the one in my way, and I'm the one that carried all the guilt and the shame and the lack of self-control and the choices that I had made to not only hurt myself, because I thought that was all I was doing was hurting myself, but really I was hurting my wife, my kids, and the people around me, which was super, uh, super embarrassing. And uh, you, you don't want to share those things. You, uh, that's why you become isolated and kind of hide in a closet, and you don't want anybody to know. Um, and I w- was really good at that, at least I thought. And then, so that's kind of what happened. Yeah. You know, being down there, it, it changed my life. Um, and that's not the first treatment center I've been to. Um, I've what been what to, was different about this one? God was there. Um, yeah. It wasn't a, a place where you go and get some more medicine to mm. get off of medicine to get off of medicine. Um, it was a place where God was the, the ultimate void filler for me. And uh, I knew that, and I just had to be open-hearted and, and just willing to, to accept that. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Darcy, I, I want to hear, because you lived with an addict, and, man, there's people listening on, on the podcast. There's people in here who they live with somebody who's addicted to something. And talk to us about that struggle and how you, how you coped with that. Um, I think living with an addict, for me, I grew up um, in a very great home. I had a great childhood. I had um, grew up in church, um, had that foundation. Um, But so that whole world was new to me um, and to navigate that. And I think for me, there was a level of shame and 
guilt and um, embarrassment, there, all of those emotions, and it wasn't even my addiction, but it was within our four walls of our home. And for a very long time, um, we d- dealt with this for three years. He didn't share that part of it. So for three years, we were dealing with this. Um, but the first two years was very tight circle. We had, I think, maybe four people, five people that knew what was going on um, in our home within those two years. And so um, that became very lonely. Um, very, I lost a lot of friends because of it. Um, because I didn't feel like I could be honest and share what was going on in our home um, with people out of fear of judgment. Um, and I think with addiction comes judgment. It comes, um, unfortunately, a very negative stigma. When someone says addiction, they think of somebody um, laying on, in the alley of a street, which is true, and that, that happens, but that's not every person who has an right. addiction. Um, and it's the person sitting next to you right now. It's the person in line at the grocery store. It's the person um, in the cubicle next to you at your job. Um, and so... But unfortunately, there's that negative stigma with addiction. And um, so there came that very just loneliness that came with that. And hard two years because we lost a lot of good friends because of it. And I think if I would have allowed myself to be honest and not let that pride of um, that I had to, if I let that down, then we would have been able to have that support around us a little bit sooner, um, but also became with that um, control. And again, I grew up in church, and I knew about Christ, and I knew about the relationship with God. I've served on banquets. I've given talks at the banquet. Like, I, I had that foundation, but I never had to really put that to the test and really put what I've said and believed to, to, to the test. And so um, <clears throat> for two, three years, I um, tried to gain so much control. I tried to be in control and not let God have control of our situation, but I tried to control it. And I um, could probably make a really good police detective um, (laughs) because, like, I knew I, for the most part, I was always one step ahead of him or if not very close to ahead of him. Um, And he would kind of figure out my game and then he would change his game, and then I'd have to change my game, and it was this vicious, horrible cycle that we were living in, and I became somebody that I didn't recognize. I became very um, cold-hearted, very um, stonewalled, very um, just anxious, and I mean, just this tension, just constant living in that, and um, and trying to, again, control every move that he was going to make and with our bank accounts and his phone and all of this stuff. But it wasn't getting me anywhere. It wasn't getting him anywhere. Um, and we were just spinning our wheels for three years. And then um, I did not... Um, I knew kind of what was going on. I didn't really couldn't pinpoint exactly what was happening. Um, somewhere in the midst of all of this, we had our third baby... And um, three weeks after he was born, it all just blew up. And he was running his own business, so then I stopped teaching, so I was able to stay home with our kids. And um, when it all blew up, I had a three-week-old baby, third C-section, 
two kids at home and seven dollars in our checking account and it all blew up because he drained it all out and then I had to kick him out and so and then that's when God really started working on me um, to be able to because at that point I had no job brand new baby three two other kids and seven dollars in our account and so we had to I had to let that pride down and say I can't do this I need help and um, we have an amazing village of people that God has surrounded us with that um, that came in and supported us and encouraged us and loved on my kids and loved on me. Um, but through that time where we weren't together, that was the time that God was saying, trust me, trust me, lean on me. I've got this. You clearly really suck at doing this on your own. Right. And, um, but I think that that night that he had his accident, that, that, that night, that was, I'm so thankful for that. And I think we both are. And as crazy as that sounds, we are so thankful um, because that night and the days to follow allowed for us to, for God to really, really work on our hearts. And it didn't happen overnight and it's still a work in progress for us. But um, to know that God gave us that time while he was in Mississippi for him to do him and for me to do me and to be able to really work on um, trusting God. And if he relapses tomorrow, it would be really heartbroken for our family, but I also know that God's got it and that his plan is way bigger than mine and that I can't control it. And that was something that I needed, that God was working on me, and who knows where we would have been. And to walk into that hospital room that day or early that morning when that happened um, and the doctor comes, sits us in this room and here comes the doctor. My really good friend drove me down there. Here comes the doctor. Here comes right behind this doctor, this little guy walking behind him. And he says, I'm the chaplain. And I was like, is my husband dead? And he's like, no. And I'm like, then why are you even here? Like, cause I'm like, don't do that. Like you can't bring a chaplain in here and then think, say my husband's not dead. But, um, it was, again, another way of God. And the doctor saying that he was two millimeters away from his carotid artery. Um, it's just another God thing. God's got bigger plans for this. And um, a scripture that um, I hold very close for us is Second um, Corinthians 1.4. And it says, He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And we did not go through what we went through for no reason. For We can't let it be that. If we just say, oh, yep, that was three years of our life, and we move on and just do our own life, then we're not giving God the glory. And so that's kind of where we um, are. Yeah, yeah. Well... I was reading some stats on Howard County, 39 deaths this year. Uh, I believe that's the current number. It may have gone up over the last few days, but 39 deaths due to overdose and close to 500 calls to 911 due to overdose. Um, most of the people out here have somebody in their family or coworker or neighbor that's been affected by this. Um, talk to us about what happened while you were there down in Mississippi and all of a sudden this vision came for you to 
Like, like your wife said, use your story to help someone else. How, how did that come about? Uh, that's a good question, Jacob. <laughs> Excuse me. So in a three-month stay, it was um, the first month uh, was, was kind of a transition month for myself. And then into that second month, I uh, started to get it. I started to realize the concept of the program and what was really happening. And God was really working on me uh, because I was allowing him to do so. And I was becoming clear. My mind was becoming more clear and my numbness was, was fading away. So I was actually having emotions. And that sucked <laughs> for a minute. But it was, it was really cool because in that second month is when God had laid it on my heart that in the middle of rehab to Howard County needs something. What that was at that moment, I didn't know, but I continued to just kind of pray about it while in Mississippi. I uh, prayed about it for the last month, and finally it got to the point where I was praying for God to take the desire away because I'm still in rehab. Starting something in Howard County was just too, too far. It was, that was way too, too far for me. Uh, but I continued to, to stay faithful and obedient to, to what I felt God was calling me to do. So I get home. And I wake up one morning, and Darcy's like, you're never going to believe what happened. I said, oh, what? I was like, you slept well? Like, what happened? She's like, no, I had a dream last night. I said, oh, okay. She said, I had a dream that you were running a recovery center. And I'm like, oh, you wouldn't believe it. For like the past two and a half months, I've been praying about starting a recovery mm-hmm. center. And so we kind of talked together, and it's like, oh, yeah, hey, let's start a recovery center. So... <laughs> I don't think it went as like smooth as that. <laughs> Tell us your side. Yeah, it was close. It was real close. <laughs> yeah, what's your side? No, well, <clears throat> that actually really did happen, the dream. And I didn't realize that that's what he was thinking um, and had been praying about. And, and the timeline of all of that, too, is um, when he came back from Mississippi, he still didn't come back home. Um, it had been a couple months um, I wasn't ready for him to come back home. Um, there was a lot of, there was that time period too of just seeing what was going to happen, seeing if this was really real. Yeah. And um, especially with our kids um, to bring him back in the home and, and then it not work or you know, happen or whatever and have to go through that again. But um, so a couple months later, that was when that timeline of all that happened. And, um, and I did have the dream. The dream was like if you're having one of those dreams, it was just so real. Like even after I wake up, the dream was like still playing out in my head. It was one of those like just really real dreams and um, woke me right up out of like my dead sleep too. And um, so that's when we had that. And it was a, several weeks of us kind of saying, really, is this what, I don't really know, but he couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. And we just kept praying about it. And God wasn't, letting it off of our hearts, um, for us to, to do this. So it wasn't just a quick, let's do this. Isn't this sounds like so much fun. Kind right, of thing. Right. So what, what but, were the steps after that, that you begin to take when you, you know, you couldn't shake that, that dream, that vision that God put in your heart. What were the, your next steps? Uh, at that point it was, uh, I, for me, it was, there's a program that worked. Um, am I biased about it? Absolutely. Um, the, the controller of that program is God. And so that's, that's what really made, made the deciding factor to pursue what we were wanting to do. And so on a whim, I reached out 
with an email to the director of the Home of Grace in Mississippi, thinking this guy's going to think I'm absolutely crazy, uh, just fresh out of rehab, thinking, hey, let's replicate a program. So I did. I emailed him. He responds back. I've been praying about this for seven years for somebody to reach out and do the footwork for, for us. And in my mind, I'm thinking there's no, why reinvent the wheel when you can just replicate it? If something works, why not do it again? Um, and so that was the, the deciding factor, I think, for me, um, was to replicate a program that not only worked for me, but for many other guys. Um, you know, that, the Home of Grace in Mississippi, there's only one, like I say, in the States. Uh, there is another one in Ukraine, but I'm not sure <laughs> anybody would be heading that way. They might, but... And so they, they gather people from 26 states. Um, they're capped out all the time. They have a, you know, it's obviously a rotation that's really cool. Uh, their, their completion rate is 73%. And why I say completion rate is 73% is because you can't really gauge a success rate or recidivism. Recidivism means returning to use. Um, because it's, there's years later that you, some people don't stay in contact with. But a 73% completion rate is pretty pretty outstanding um, at a 90-day facility. Some are court-ordered, some are not. And so let's replicate yeah. rather than reinvent the, the progress and the success of, of what is happening. Yeah. And so with the willingness of, of their board down south and uh, their director, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been cool. And so in that time, we've since then formed a board here um, which is a very diverse board that really, they're helpful. They're, they're helpful in so many ways because for the love, we cannot do this by ourselves. We can't do it with just our board. We can't do it with just one church. We can't do it with, we need a community involvement that people have a heart for and not just are judgmental of the stigma because there's a lot of that. Just having a heart for another soul, another person. Yeah. Um, whether it be a child or a human being that's made bad choices like myself, love somebody. You know, I think of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which is faith, hope, and love that will last forever. And the greatest of those is love. Love to me is action. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Get up off your yes. seat and do something. Come on. I, no, I'm preach, wondering. preach. Good. And so I've been thankful to have a wife that's come alongside me to support me and thankful for people like Mr. Berga here that's, uh, that care. Just call me Jacob. Oh, Jacob, sorry. <laughs> and for people that just care. It's, it's, not, it's not that hard. Even if you don't have to like the person, it, you know. And for me, it's, we had a fundraiser recently. And what an amazing fundraiser that was. We have a board that's never put a fundraiser together in our life. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. But no, honestly, I felt like I was putting on a wedding with no honeymoon yeah, at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where's my honeymoon at the end of this? Yeah. I think we had Pizza Hut and kind of a time at home for our honeymoon. <laughs> but it was, we had a board of, of 12 people that some have attended fundraisers, some have not. And we decided we were going to put together a fundraiser because we need money. That was the case. And so for me, I'm like, I don't have a clue what we're doing here. But putting our heads together amongst the community, meeting with the whole political gamut of people, which is, you know, the sheriff, the police chief, the mayor, the, and on down the road, the county commissioners, you know, everybody that's involved, everybody's supportive of that. 
Um, but getting to a fundraiser and asking people for money is not, it's a very humbling experience. Um, obviously, we need money, but more for me and more for, I think, Darcy is, is trying to offer freedom from addiction through Christ-centered recovery. We want to help people. Do we need money to get there? Yeah. But I'm not, I'm more worried about helping people. Right. And so in the midst of all this, we have sent 11 to 12 people down to the home of Grace. One of them just came, just graduated and came back to our home yesterday, and he looks like a child of God, which prior to going, he definitely didn't look like a child of God. I honestly didn't think he was going to make it amongst myself and many others. But, so that's been neat to happen. So this fundraiser consisted of a three-hour night that we had some auction items, and long story short, we... Uh, we don't have an official number, but we're pretty close to, in one night, $108,000. Yeah. Now, you're both working full-time jobs. God puts this vision in your heart, but it does take money, okay? And God sends people along your path, like Fuel Church, right? And we're going to help you uh, for our heart for the house. We're going to help you to infinity and beyond, as the movie said. As long as you're helping people get restored and it's Christ-centered, that's what we're about. And so you've got to raise this money. You're looking for land right now. You're looking for a donation. Maybe someone has a rich uncle that has 40 acres. Your vision for that land is? So that land would consist of, uh, real quick, we're, we're called the Valley of Grace, which is a replication of the Home of Grace. Um, I'm not sure I made that clear, but so we'll just essentially model that program. Um, that land would be, um, so the ideal big vision is about eight cottages. And those are like eight ranch-style homes that would house 16 people per. And they would each be like kind of dormitory-style living. You're living with your homeboy that's got an addiction problem, and you guys are doing life together. And so there would be eight of those homes, one administration building that would house your cafeteria, your admin, your, um, your counselors, your classrooms, uh, then you would have a recreational building because here in Indiana you have four seasons, so you can't play outside all the time. And in Mississippi you have kind of one season, so we have to make some adjustments accordingly. So we, needed, we would need a rec building that would maybe house uh, maybe weights, uh, basketball, you know, th- yeah. things of those nature, of, of those things. And, and then we would need a work therapy, which would consist of mowing the yards, uh, the grounds, shoveling snow, obviously which I hate to say it, I'm kind of looking forward to some snow. Um, and, and, and in trying to incorporate other businesses to do some work for them, to, to be a benefit to both, both parties. And then a chapel every day. We need a chapel. We need a church. Uh, they have church every day down there. And you'll bring in local pastors and ministers to help with that? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Every day, that'd be, hopefully you'll, right. will you come? I'll be the first one. (laughs) Sign me up. Okay. Doesn't that sound awesome? Now, now, how many know this is a big God-sized dream? Because this is what he's talking, what they're talking about is millions of dollars, right? But how many know our God is big? And how many just believe that we can play a small part in this? I, I just believe we can. We can't. We, we can't do the millions, but we'll do our part. And our prayer is that other churches, close to 200 churches in our community, I pray they all get linked up with this because if we all got linked up, then it's done like that. And so um, 
you have our support, right? You have our support moving forward. And uh, come on, let's give it up for them. Awesome. And we're excited to be a be. In, in, in the beginning stages of it, you know, really, and to see where God takes us to reach our city, because we're for the city. Yeah. And, and if our goal, our goal is to, if nothing else, bring hope. There was yeah. a many nights and many days of not a lot of hope in our home. And if we can give people hope um, that life, if you allow God to get inside of your life, then yeah. there is hope on the other end. Yeah. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Any last words? Last word. Um, it's a humbling story. We all make mistakes, but it, there was a line I had to cross to learn to love my regrets. Hmm. I made mistakes. Am I shameful? Do I feel guilty about them? Not anymore. You can judge me. You can not like me. You can, um, however you feel about me, but I've learned to love what I've done because of the choices I'm making now. Wow. That's good. That's good. That's awesome. Will you come back again next year? Yes, if you give us money. (laughs) I told him to be honest and transparent, so listen. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me. Jesus name. It's simple as that. And uh, I encourage you find a good local church. If, if you can get to fuel church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things in the lives and families of the people that come here, but find a good church where you can grow in God until next time. God bless you. Have a great week.